right, so we are beginning this series today called Radical Generosity. And it's kind of funny, actually. We, we just finished a series called Religion is Dead, which is sort of this hot and somewhat trendy idea. You know, religion is not cool. I can get on board with that. Awesome. And now we're turning it all around and we're talking about money. Something that's not trendy and hot to talk about and something that nobody wants to talk about, money, you know. Especially when we talk about generosity, giving money away. It's like something deep within us is like, no, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. And, you know, I've been in Baltimore long enough to know that uh, Baltimoreans are extremely uh, leery and hesitant when money comes up for a number of reasons. Um, this is one of the top reasons uh, so why people don't go to church is because they've seen two things. They've seen money being a priority and in a wrong way. And then they've seen politics. And so we are, we're not talking about politics today, but we're talking about money. And this is like, you know, I'm, I know that we're, we're treading as a community on like really thin ice when we even do this because of what's going on in the Christian world when it comes to this idea of, of money and, and uh, giving and generosity. Uh, two things I think that stick out as to why we are extremely hesitant to even talk, why I'm hesitant to talk about money, which, by the way, if, you, if you're like, man, all you ever do is talk about money, you've never been here before <laughs> because we never talk about money. You were here like that one time in June when we talked about money, but I'm hesitant because of two things that, that we see. It's abuse and it's legalism. Abuse, we've all seen it. We've all seen these weird, crazy tax tactics that people will use ministries or secular people or whatever to try to get your money, right? I mean, and they, it's a, there is some serious abuse out there. I heard of a guy who in the mail got from a ministry this round target sort of deal, and the instructions from the ministry were to write on the target everything that you want. And you put it on the wall, and then along with the target, there was this little sticky ball that came in the mail. This is a great creative idea. And you throw the ball, and it hits the target, and wherever it hits the target, whatever blessing it hits, that's what you're going to get if you give to this guy's ministry. So just write me a check, and it's coming. It's coming your way. We've got to give him like an A for creativity and an F for... Yeah. Uh, you know, this idea that give us money and, and your bills will be taken care of. I, I was watching a fairly prominent TV evangelist at his church. He, up front, they had this big fire pit. And what they were doing that Sunday, you're already laughing. <laughs> what they were doing, it wasn't burning books. They're a little more progressive than that. <laughs> What they were doing was, it was bring your bills to church Sunday and burn them. So people are bring, literally bringing their unpaid and late bills to church. And they're coming down, and I'm watching this. They're coming down, and they're giving an offering and placing their bills in the fire. And it's like, yeah, it's like, come, give us an offering, give, give, to, give to our work, and God will take care of your bills. It doesn't make any sense, you know, like... 
You still got to have the bill to, uh, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And all these people are doing it. I'm just like, wow, there's so, and then, so of course we're hesitant when it comes to money talks. We don't, I mean, we've seen it. On the other hand, though, this is maybe where I've been a little convicted is like, if the abusers and the legalizers have the last word when it comes to generosity, if they're the ones that define in our heads what it looks like to be a giving and very generous person, then either we're going to run from it as far as we can, or we're going to have a pretty screwed up understanding of generosity, why we give, how much we should give, and all, and, and all of the above. And so what we're going to do is just for the next three weeks, we're just going to take some time here to focus on this matter. And, you know, you might say, well, money's a secular thing. You know, why, why don't we just talk about spiritual stuff? And the reality is, and I think most of you would probably agree with this, but we are holistic beings. And when we, when we come to Christ, our, our whole comes to Christ. And it changes not just what we do on Sunday mornings, but it changes everything about it. It changes how we see our bank account. It changes how we see our job, how we see our relationships. It's everything, you know. So, so it's a whole gamut. Um, in Luke, one out of every seven verses has to do with money. Of some sort. Um, 11 out of 39 of Jesus' parables have to do with money. Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined. So it's a pretty big, pretty big deal, you know? And the reality is this, and, and maybe this is the statement that we want to like drop right here at the beginning of the, this short series is this money has power. Money has power. It does. In our culture, it has influence. It has power. It has power either to control us. We, 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 we find that we not only love money, uh, but, but it demands our worship. It controls us. It dominates us. And everything revolves around money. And it demands that we fall on our knees and we call the Lord. So it has the power to control us or... If this is what I believe, this is why we're doing this. If we can embrace some biblical understanding of money, generosity, money has the power to control, but it also has the power to change the world. We can go either either direction. So that's what we're going to sort of experience over the next couple of weeks. Um, what I what I personally was was wanting to do with this is to to provide sort of a holistic approach to this. On one hand, you guys know of this class we're going to be offering in January, but also we have these little devotionals that we're handing out. And, uh, this is from a church called Redeemer Presbyterian Church that uh, allowed us to steal these. And um, so I have three different kinds here. I've got a small devotional for those of you who can read really small print. Let's see here. I've got a larger print devotional for those of you who can't read very small print. And then for those of you that are sort of environmentally conscious, um, maybe I should say not so environmentally conscious, we have the one-sided page devotional. <laughs> <laughs> so there's three back there that you can choose from. Take your pick. It's all the same content. We just printed them off in three different ways for some reason. And, uh, and this is, it's, a, it's just good stuff. So do that. Uh, if you start tomorrow, by the end of our three-week series, you'll be, you'll be finished with it. And uh, you can thank Redeemer Presbyterian 
for allowing us to steal it from them. All right, let's dive, let's dive into our text this morning. We're in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The, uh, before we get into this, I, w- I heard that the number, I was reading some statistics, and the number one worry that people have today is what? It's about money, right? The number one worry that most people have, that they, they say, this is what I worry about the most, it's money. Marriages fall apart because of this. 33% of Christian, quote-unquote, marriages end in divorce, and the number one reason is what? Money. It's a big, and when we begin to think about our culture, even the reason we're hesitant when people start to talk about money, you know, we could talk about generosity in just about every other way. We could say, hey, you should be generous with your time. You'd be like, all right, that's cool. You should be generous with your skills. Yeah, I got mad skills. You know, I can <laughs> do what I can do. Um, you should be generous in all these different ways. But as soon as we start talking about money, what does everybody do? They're like, mine, it's mine. Don't touch it. It's my precious, you know, or whatever. <laughs> they go crazy. It's mine. They start kicking and biting. Why? Why? It's because our worth in our culture, our worth is defined by how much materialistic things we have. And how, that's right. I mean, when I say that, what I mean by that is how many of you don't raise your hand when you go shopping and you buy something, you just feel a little bit better about yourself for about five seconds. It's because your worth just went up a little bit. All right? Our worth is defined by what we have. And so as soon as somebody comes along and, and starts asking for some of that or whatever, we start talking about giving some of that away. What we do is we're like, no, it's mine. It's mine. Why? Because what you're doing is you're threatening my worth. This is who I am. This is how I find happiness. This is how I find joy. This is how I find success and fulfillment and Love is through what I have. And you're threatening that. This, this story that we're about to get into here, it's two chapters that we're going to look at, look at over the next three weeks. First, or 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And what's going on here is Paul is making an ask for money of the Corinthian church. It's written to the Corinthians. Making an ask of them to help the Jerusalem church, which is a poor, struggling church. So he's coming and saying, hey, there's this poor church. You, you guys are doing a little better. Would you, would you help them? So that's the context, and let's dive in. Ready? First one, I, and now, brothers, we want to know about the grace that God, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, the Macedonian churches, which is like Thessalonica, what first and second Thessalonians were written to. What he's doing now is he's using them as like this example. As he's talking to the Corinthian church, he's saying, I want you to know what the Macedonian church did and, and kind of what they've been going through and the generosity that I've seen alive within their hearts. Verse 2, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And so what Paul is saying here is this. Severe trial, severe trial, plus extreme poverty, welled up in what? Rich 
generosity. Now, can anybody explain that to me? How does that make any sense? Does that make sense to you guys? David, you're an accountant. Does that make any sense? Extreme poverty and severe trial, these two added up to rich generosity. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. To give you an example of the kind of severe trial and extreme poverty they're going through, in Acts chapter 17, Paul goes and visits the church in Thessalonica, which is one of the Macedonian churches. And he gets there, and there's there's this man named Jason that lives there. The church meets in his house. And so Paul goes and he visits with Jason, and he hangs out for a while. And then Paul goes, and he does what he does, and like Jesus, he makes everybody mad, right? He makes all the leaders mad. And so now the leaders in Thessalonica... Are, are extremely upset with Paul, and they go to Jason's house looking for Paul. They storm into Jason's house. They run inside. They, they look around the place. Paul's not there. They pull Jason and all of the people in his house out into the public, and in front of everybody, they reprimand Jason for welcoming a guy like Paul. And then they make them pay a fine to be like a bail to be to be you know like up go back to their house. It's just a small example of the kind of severe trial that that they're facing on a regular basis. They're in an extremely difficult environment trying to be people of Jesus, promoting the gospel. And the, the world, the culture, the environment around them is doing everything they can to crush the gospel movement. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul commends them for their... Um, what is the wording that he uses for their persecution and trials for as they're going through these persecution and trials, Paul says, commend you. Now we've talked about this before that for the early church, especially for places like Thessalonica, for the early church to become a Christian was to join Jesus in his what? His suffering, Right. Not that they chose to suffer, not like they had, eh, let's have, you know, I'm going to choose to become poor, but they ju- it just happened. It was their culture because the gospel was being, try- they were trying to squash the movement of the gospel. And so they were constantly surrounded with extreme trials. And then they would lose their jobs. If you read some early church literature, it was a common place for early Christians to have to either have to walk away from their jobs because they were doing something that was not just, or they would lose their jobs. And what happens when you lose your job? Poor. So not only are they socially excluded, outcast, they're looked down on, they're being drugged out of their house, they're being fined, they don't even have jobs. Some of them. They're, they're, it's extreme poverty. And so what what Paul is saying here is, think of these Macedonians who, through severe trial and extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. And then he says this in verse uh, 3, For I, I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and then he says, and even beyond their ability. 
as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And what that is saying is they gave an impossible amount. It didn't make, like we look at this, that doesn't make any sense. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. They even gave beyond their ability. It wasn't that they had some left over. And so they just kind of threw it away and said, hey, I don't really need it. But they actually gave it beyond their ability. They didn't have it, and they still somehow gave it. And what we're going to begin to see, and I'm not going to dive into it too deep right now, but over the next three weeks, what we're going to begin to see is how this kind of giving is an it, it truly is a grace. It's doing something that we truly, in and of ourselves, are not even able to do. Whether it's our, our desire or literally we don't have it. And God moves in that, and, so, and, and the impossible happens, and these people gave what they were able, and then, and then so, beyond their ability. And then he says this last line, and I want to discuss this last line with you guys a little bit. He says, entirely on their own. Entirely on their own. In verse 4, he says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. So, severe trial, extreme generosity, they gave, or extreme poverty, they gave rich generosity entirely on their own. And not only was it on their own, but they actually begged us if we could give. Here are these people, they're not, they're not giving out of guilt. Paul didn't come to them and, and show them sli a slideshow of the terrible conditions in Jerusalem with the church there. They just heard of it, and they're like, man, this is, I want to be about, I want my life to be about Christ, and furthering, furthering Christ. And they asked Paul if, if they could actually give like this. And Paul says, sure, <laughs> please do, that's awesome. It's, it blows our mind. Now, I want, to, I want to throw this out there and have you guys uh, give me some feedback on this. All throughout the next two chapters, we're going to see where Paul is constantly saying, uh, things like this, like they gave it on their own. Or they, they asked if they could be part of it. Or they don't, they, I don't want you to give with a grudge. I want you to give with the willingness of your heart. Why is it so important to Paul that they gave on their own? Thoughts? Design? It's more sincere. It's more sincere? Yeah, definitely. Brent? Because God's ultimate goal is for us to love others. And so if, if we're doing it begrudgingly, his ultimate goal of love isn't really being met. We're just kind of going through the motions. Right, right. Driven by love, which is a prominent theme all throughout Paul's, Paul's writings to the early church. What else? Anything else? I'm not really looking for one answer. Feedback. Right. 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 It's great. Exactly. God is truly the one moving in them, not Paul. We got to understand something. Paul. Paul lived in a time where there was abuse and there was legalism. There was people that that, that the legalizers, which Paul, Paul fought against constantly. There were people like today that were, that were abusing this thing of generosity. And so, much like we would today, 
it's, it's, it's a huge and important fact to say nobody made them do it. It wasn't because they felt guilty. It wasn't because they wanted God's approval. They already had God's approval. And that's exactly why they did it. It was on their own. All right, well, what I want to do, and I, I know you guys love it when I have you do this, so we're going to do it. We're going to have a little discussion time this morning, all right? And I want to, oh, this is what I want to discuss. Because when we think about this, um, it's, 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 we have to be honest, I guess, of the culture that we live in. And we, and we recognize that this uh, kind of generosity is extremely difficult in our culture. Even if we wanted to be like this, it's extremely difficult. And so I want to discuss why that is. Why is it extremely difficult in our culture to have this kind of generosity? So break up into groups of three. Just turn your chairs right where you're at. And I want you to discuss that. Why is it in our culture extremely difficult to embrace this kind of generosity? And then we're going to share it together. All right? Go. All right, everybody. What do we got? Why is it extremely difficult in our culture to embrace this kind of generosity? What are your thoughts? Paul? We talked about how, it's all, and how our culture, especially in the U.S., is kind of a me culture. Wow. It's very self-centered. That is so huge, and I don't want to miss that. It's a me culture. It's, it's, about, it's about me. How, how else do you say it? It's about me. I was going to elaborate on that, but I, I can't. It's about me. <laughs> Toshio, what would you guys say? It would be hard to share five dollars It'd be hard to share five dollars. Yeah, hey, do you have five dollars on you? <laughs> I'm just gonna say it's just hard. Yeah, afraid. R A I D. Afraid of loss. Sean. Uh, we're a culture of debt, really. So there's car, house, or there are certain debts that we're told we have to have. So that when we try to budget things out, it doesn't make sense to send money away that you shouldn't be. What'd you say? Good because debt. it's good debt. Yeah, yeah. Good debt. I was told that my student loan is good debt. Yeah. Right. Not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is bad. It feels the same so way about my car. It's so true, though. Like, uh, the debt, I mean, it's huge. You know, some people are paying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month just as a minimum payment for their credit cards. And they would love to be able to give that to good causes. They would love to be able to give that to a church or to the poor or whatever it might be. But they can't because of debt. What else? Jen? Yeah, just worry in general. <laughs> yep. Because of our own um, worry to give, because we need to provide for ourselves, and because um, you know we feel as though we need to, um, we're afraid that if we don't have enough money, that other people won't help us out because other people are afraid to give. It's like a cycle. 
if we all have the mentality that, you know, I'm going to give because I can or because someone needs it, then when it turns around that you're the one who needs help, you won't have to worry about it because you know people will give to you. But our culture is not like that. Right. That's true. And even one of the things that Paul says later in this chapter is that very thing. is like, uh, I'm not asking you to give so you'll, so you'll not be hurting, but rather I'm asking you to give because you can. And when the time comes that you're hurting, they'll be able to give to you. He actually says that later in the chapter. Brett? I think sometimes cynicism, like, uh, mm-hmm. like you see someone, like say you see someone on the street corner asking for money or something, I think a lot of times we're very cynical and like, well, what's this person going to use this money for? Or like being worried that what you're giving towards is actually going to be helping people. Right. Yeah, and I think that's driven by that abuse that we've seen too, is we, we've become just extremely cautious of, of anybody that, that, you know, whether it's somebody on the street or somebody on TV that's asking for money. Um, and then, did I spell cynicism right? <laughs> just making sure I don't want anybody like laughing at me the rest of the time. I'm like, I spelled cynicism. We're gonna you do you cynical person. <laughs> You're going to do that anyways. And i, I got to write Rochelle's on here, which was um, uh, fear of not having help when you need it. <laughs> All right, one more. Two more. Toshio and then Sean. Yeah, and that's similar to this, like loss, but just ruining, ruining my stuff. <laughs> and show what we, oh, we also value like everything has to be new, you know. So at my party the other day, a friend took out their iPhone, so I was like, man, that's, that's an old iPhone. It was five years ago. You know, it's like not old. Anyway, they were encouraging him to buy a new one because the new one just came out. Yeah. And it's I'm, like we're constantly urged to buy the newest thing, even though the oldest thing is five years old. Right? I'm just going to call it consumerism, because that's what it is. It's like this, we have to consume. We, there's always something new. Somebody just said, how can we uh, be, how can we be generous when, when there's a, this new HDTV flat screen that we have to get, you know? Right. And that's the reality of it is how, it's, it's extreme. You guys, I think all of these sum up in this, it's about me, it's about my stuff, it's about my worth, um, driven by consumerism, we've got to have, how can we be generous when there's always something else that we need? I mean, I'm going to be honest too, like even my house, have you guys been there lately? Like I still don't have my shelves up in my kitchen and my dining room still not painted, you know? I've got this long list of things that I still need. And so when we get a couple extra dollars, what do we do with it? You know, what do we do? And it's just, it's really hard. And I'm not going to give you today uh, an easy answer for that either. But it's just, we live in this tension. And then on top of that, something else that I want to point out in verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. When we look at this... 
this formula that I wrote here, what, what are we missing in here, in this section? Joy. Joy. They're overflowing joy. Let me try to write with my left hand. You think my right hand is bad. <laughs> They're overflowing joy. What does that mean? Here we are in this culture of like consumerism and we're, we're going through rough economic times, meaning some of you guys don't even have a job right now and you're looking for work and it's extremely difficult. Some of you are uh, going through financial, you're, you're, you're tight financial uh, hardships. And, uh, and then we look at this and it wasn't, they didn't just give uh, out, out of having a good conscience or out of feeling bad for someone else. They gave out of complete overflowing joy. Out of joy. And everything that we've, we've set on here is completely the opposite of joy. Does worry have anything to do with joy? Of course not. <clears throat> so how could these Macedonians have such a dramatic shift in their thinking when it came to the material things that they had and to their money? How could that even be possible? And we see it in verse, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 8. Look, look at it with me. I am not commanding you, he says, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And then he compares it to one other. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus, who had everything, complete wealth, gave it all up and became completely poor, taking on the lowly state of a servant, born in a feeding trough, walking the, the, the streets homeless, gave it all up to the point of death. Think about this, to the point of his very life. He gave up this terrible death. That through his death and then through his resurrection, through, through defeating death, through defeating the grave, then it says he has made us rich. He became poor, so he, so he may join us in our poverty. And then we, could, we then can become rich. Now, the question is, how does Jesus make us rich? Because I'm not. <laughs> so I'm looking to you for the answer. <laughs> Lydia? Uh, I think of it more in the spiritual way. Our Heavenly God is like a king in heaven. Yeah. So that the joy is that you don't have to worry about what you have on earth because your spiritual things that you are no longer here. Right, exactly. You're right on. It's, it's a different kind of wealth. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells this parable where there's this, this really rich man. And he has this great harvest and he builds these barns and he puts his harvest in the barns. And then another year comes and, and he has a better harvest. I mean, a very, very good harvest. More than he can ever imagine. More than he'll ever, ever need. And so what does he do with it? He thinks, okay, I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns. 
so I can store all of my stuff. And that way, I can, I can sit back and I can take life easy. I can eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus, in the parable, uh, gives us God's response to that. God says to this rich man, he says, you fool. You fool. Don't you know that tonight your very life will be required of you? Don't you know that tonight you're going to die? Who is going to enjoy what you have? Which also gives us this impression that this man doesn't have anyone else. He doesn't have friends. He hasn't been pouring in anybody. It's all been about me for this man. It's all about him. It's about his comfort. It's about his security. It's about his life. It's about his worth, his value. You fool. Don't you know that tonight you're going to lose it all? You you don't even have anyone to pass it on to. And then Jesus says this in verse 21 of chapter 12. You don't have to turn out, just read it too. He says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up treasures, things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And so Jesus then presents us with this new economy, a new way of thinking about wealth and things. And the way we previously thought of wealth, the way we previously would describe a wealthy person, is somebody who has acquired a lot of things for themselves. But Jesus is saying, he's, he's turning that around, he's saying, no, that's actually not true wealth. And only the fool would think that would try to build up as much as they can build up here on this earth. Because when they die, they have nothing. And they're not rich towards God. In Ephesians, it even uses financial language when it says, it, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus about the Holy Spirit. And the way he describes the Holy Spirit is this. He's our deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's financial language that Paul's using there. The Holy Spirit is our deposit. He's been deposited into our our bank account. Guaranteeing our inheritance. And what is our inheritance? We've been adopted as children of God. You thought your dad had a lot. (laughs) Now you are a child of God. Who owns everything. Who not only owns it all, but he's created everything. We have this great inheritance. And then when we, when we begin to grasp that, everything changes for us. You know what the next line is in Luke 12 after, he tells, after Jesus tells this parable? He turns to his disciples and you know what he says? Therefore I tell you, do not worry. Therefore I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry. Because there's a wealth beyond anything you can attain in this earth. And joy then for a follower of Christ comes not from from attaining things for us. Joy comes not from, uh, from money and from material things. Joy comes from making Christ known to the world. Making this great inheritance known to the world around us. When, when somebody who has been uh, forever seeing their worth 
directly related to how much they have. And they're constantly caught in this cycle of, of worry and fear and debt. To see someone like that embrace Christ and discover that there is something much greater than what we can get, what we can see, what we can have. That is, that's joy for us, isn't it? I mean, don't you guys like it when you see somebody get it? There's this uh, guy named Jack Hayford. He told this story about, um, it was Thanksgiving time, and his Aunt Margaret, who was wealthy. You guys have any wealthy aunts? He did. Aunt Margaret was wealthy. He said she carried herself like a first lady. And uh, so this certain Thanksgiving, she got all the children together in a little circle. And she said, all right, I'm going to give you 50 cents for everything that you can think of that you're thankful for. I'm going to give you 50 cents that you can, for everything you can come up with. And, um, and he reminds us, too, that this is in the 1940s when 50 cents, like today, would be more like five, to ten, five or $10 for everything you can think of. So this is a lot of money that's, on stay, that, that's at hand. And this is what he says. He says, as I stood on the brink of eternal wealth, my economic senses and my emotional juices pumping at a rate sufficient to skyrocket my mind to hyperspeed proportions, Fort Knox being in the immediate view. And in that moment of incredible opportunity, my mind locked up. I froze. I couldn't think of anything. I fumbled. I stumbled. I struggled with such gargantuan possibilities. I finally only managed to say four things I was thankful for. Mom, mama, daddy, our home, and our family. Two measly dollars. It was an unforgettable day and missed opportunities. As I thought back on that day, I can think of a mega million things that I'm thankful for. How about Aunt Margaret, for starters? And then I could have been thankful for each one of her fingers and toes. 20 times 50 cents right there and on into infinity. But I locked up. There's something very telling about that story for me. Whenever I think of abundance as a possibility, that episode from my early life comes back to haunt me. It reaches the core to a potential blockage that is there for all of us, that when your mind is preoccupied with getting, it paralyzes your ability to think about giving. I couldn't even think of the things I was thinking for. And that is so true of us in our, in our culture, that we are so consumed with getting, with what we need, that the idea of giving is foreign to us, and we're paralyzed when it comes to generosity. Even if we have an idea out there, theoretically, that we would like to be generous, we can't, because we are so consumed with getting. But you know what? Again, what, what turns this around for all of us is that when we, when we embrace Christ and we embrace his way and, and, and the gospel, we begin to see this broader scope to life, that there's more than, than the here and the now, that there's more than the physical, there's more than the material. To, to see that gospel spread and to see people fall on their knees and to see people begin to, to, to see clearly who God is, is just like our greatest joy. And I, you don't know how much joy I have within the garden. It's just been phenomenal to see God moving in hearts and people that are, that are getting it. I, would, I wouldn't trade what I do for a 
big time, you know, big money making job, whatever, living in a wealthy suburb. I wouldn't do it because I know that there, for me, there, that wouldn't bring me joy. What, where I more and more am finding joy is when I'm just seeing people get it. I'm seeing people begin to follow Christ in a whole new way. Recently, and I was talking with Matt. I'm going to actually have Matt come on up, and he's going to share a little bit. But I had this moment with Matt, and we were just chatting and stuff. And I'll just have Matt come on. This is an example of the joy that I received. Come on up, Matt. You guys know Matt. This is Matt, by the way. Oh, and we've got an announcement. Here, you can, you can take a seat there. Matt, share about your clothing drive, by the way. This isn't what I brought him up here for, but we meant to announce it anyways. Um, we are trying to get rid of clothes and give them to people that can use them. Um, I have a lot of clothes that I don't wear like every day, and there are a lot of warm clothes, and there are a lot of people that could use warm clothes right now. So I think the plan is to, to give them, like bring them here on Sunday or bring them um, to 1411. We're going to store them there and sort through them in the next week or two and go, um, I guess, on a Saturday or Sunday. We'll pick a day, and we'll all we can whoever wants to come help hand out clothes and just just help give out stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, all right. Now for what I brought you up here for. Uh, share with me before you came to the garden, before you connected with us. What was your thoughts of Christianity, church, etc.? Um, <laughs> I guess I had a uh, like a pretty narrow scope on the whole situation. I sort of took in. Um, like what I see on like TV from, you know, like the, from the Pope on down. Um, for me, I'm, I'm gay. And so there's a lot of struggle with that. Cause a lot of like, ch- you know, churches, like the whole entire Catholic church and all these people and communities are very outspoken about that. And so I sort of had like a pretty narrow scope on seeing and hearing what I wanted to see. And also sort of like intellectualizing the whole thing, like, like, the war in Iraq has sort of become this, like, Christian holy war, and a lot of people saw it like that, and I, it just, for me, it was, like, one of those things that I was just, like, I'm just not, either I choose to not be a part of it, or other people tell me I'm not allowed to be a part of it, um, and I guess that's where I was, and it was a pretty, like, a pretty empty victory, like, I, I don't know if that makes sense, like, a lot of things, like, I choose, like, I choose not to buy gas from BP, or I choose not to, like, like, eat McDonald's food, and I feel kind of good about that stuff, but... Um, this was one of those things like I really struggled with, and it like it was a, it was a pretty like defeating victory, if that makes any sense. Like it was not something that I was comfortable with, and it was something that I really tried to like find a place in. Um, but like from where I was looking and where I was standing, I guess like I didn't see a place for me in in this community. Yeah. You know. So you stumbled upon a house community one day. I did. And I fell. Why did you come back? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, the way I, I, I fell into the house community was cool because... Did you literally fall into it? I did. And it hurt. I looked like Sean for a couple of weeks. Um, for a period of time, I had made drugs and alcohol like my God, and that was what I worshipped um, for like a number of years. And in 2007, I, I found myself in recovery, and I, you know, that's like a big part of my life. And so I was looking for an AA meeting... And in the director, I guess there used to be a meeting at that at that 1411, and so it's, it was still in there. And I was like, okay, there's like a new meeting. And I go, and it was this group of people that didn't look like AA people, and they, um, 
we're talking about God, and so I sort of just, like, didn't say anything. I was like, I guess I'll just sit here and, like, <laughs> check this out. Um, and then, you know, sort of talk to people, and and people were really cool and, like, really open, and no one, like, tried to sell me anything, and no one, like, I had, like, all these things about, like, Christianity, and people were going to, like, sell me a book or, like, lay hands on me, and it was going to be, like, some weird thing, but that did happen. And I bought all this stuff. Um, <laughs> no, none of that happened. And it was just really cool. And, and the people were just really low-key, but also, like, really open and supportive and, and let me come and kind of say whatever I felt like saying. And, and everyone shared. And it was really um, – it was it was the people, and it was sort of like this search for for God. Like, I, I was – it was a weird time in my life when I had been really praying to, like, know God better um, as a part of my recovery. And – then, like, I stumbled into this, like, church community. I was like, well, I guess that's, like, sort of like a sign, you know? Right. So I rolled with it, and, it, and here I sit. <laughs> you said something that was, like, so important. I think I, wanted, I want them to hear it. completely makes sense that you would come back because of the people, because the people are the body of Christ. We are God's representation on earth. And so we are to be <laughs> that body where people, they're, they're drawn to it. And they come back because of that. So anyways... Um, all right, so more recently, kind of just share what God's been doing um, in your life and uh, where he's led you. Okay. Um, I guess recently I got to a point, sort of like in that journey of going from like no God, <laughs> even though like there was a God in my life, but like I was really like denying him, if that makes sense, and, and like unaware of it, and then sort of accepting God just like as like, nondescript, just, like, God, which is a big sort of thing in AA, um, and then I moved into here, and, like, I felt like every step was, like, a big step, like, moving into the house community, and then, like, finally freeing up my schedule to come to, like, church on Sunday, and, like, really just sort of see what happens, um, and, like, the whole time, like, waiting for the other shoe to drop, but, like, it still hasn't seemed to happen yet, like, everything seems, like, pretty, feel like I've checked out the garden, and, like, it's pretty legit. Um, and, and so, like, every step, like, I've, like, opened up a little bit more and, like, let a little bit more of God into my life. And recently, I got to, I was praying, and I was, like, sort of just asking God to, like, let me know you better. Um, and there was the whole, and this will sound weird, but, like, the whole Jesus element of Christianity, like, I just hadn't really been able to come to terms with that, and there was still, like, a lot of old thinking, I think, in the back of my head. And I was, like, thinking about that in prayer, and I was, like, having a really hard time. And then, like, I just shut down. Like, I was, like, all right, I need to explore this. But, like, the opposite happened. It's, like, I pushed back. And I didn't come to church for a little while, and I stopped praying, which is, like, really unusual for me because that's been, like, really um, important to me. And when, like, that became too much, um, and I think it's just part of my nature is to, like, fight back and, like, fight against, like, I I don't know. I can't explain it. But um, so I finally, like, reached out and... Um, both in the house community and with, with Joel, like in, in his free time, has sort of like helped show me through the Bible some stuff. And we've been reading John. Um, and I've like, it's pretty easy to like accept Christ into my life and say, like, I want to just, I don't get it. I don't know, like, know everything, but like, I just want to get it and I want to know you and um, help me do that. And that's pretty much what I pray for every day. And I've been reading the Bible, which is, which is like new to me. Um, but it's incredible, and it's, it's like, not, I don't know, it's, like, really exciting in a way. Like, it's, like, a, like a high, like, that's new to me, and that's really, like, I, I'm digging it, so. That's 
That's where I am. No highlight the most. That's what our t-shirts say underneath. Sweaters. We need to sell those t-shirts. To my hippie professor used to say. No, we need to give them away. I I just think that that is, you know, I can stand up here and I can talk to you about what God is doing in the garden, but to bring Matt up here and just let him share is much better in in my own thinking. When when Matt and I were first meeting together, he prayed and he said, he said, God, I'm just letting go. That's how he said it. I was like, man, it's so perfect. You know, just letting go or just, I can't fight anymore, you know? And uh, so, you know, welcome to the family of, of Christ and the community. But let's give let's give Matt a little round. Actually, we should uh, all lay hands on him and pray for him. We'll do that after the service. I'd like to stick around. But I, I think, I mean, if you guys... Um, if your heart moves the same way mine moves when I hear stories like that, we're getting a glimpse into why the early church was driven uh, in such a way to where it wasn't about them. It wasn't about living a comfortable life and acquiring wealth. There was, there was something much greater out there. Uh, a guy named David Platt, he's an author and he's a pastor and a Facebook friend of mine. And his uh, status recently was we have the resources to take the gospel to every people, but do we have the resolve? We have the resources to take the gospel, what Matt is experiencing and what you and I are experiencing, this transformative, powerful, good news of Jesus Christ. We have those resources to, to take, take that gospel, that good news, to all of the world, to every people group. But the question is, do we have the resolve? Is, is anyone tired of building barns? You're ready to chop the barns down and start giving some of that grain away. Or is anyone, I mean... Building barns isn't even on your peripheral. You're not going to build barns because you're spending everything on on, on you, on me. You know, it's every dollar we get, everything we have, we're we're building up the way we feel about ourselves, our worth, and you're just tired of it. You're tired of finding your worth, your value in what you have and the way people look at you because of what you have? Or is there anyone here that's just tired of the worry? You're tired of the worry of what's going to happen if if I run out? And you know that there's something bigger out there, but you just don't even know how to get there. You don't even know where to begin. Over the next couple of weeks, guys, we're going to, the next two weeks after today, we're just going to be diving into this deeper. And we're going to be offering some more resources, and we're going to be thinking together and dreaming up ways uh, to, to 
take to use our resources to change the world, to not allow the power of money to control us and dominate us, but to take the gospel to every part of the city and to every part of this world. This is the one thing I, I'm going to leave you with today. We're just going to, I don't have like a big ha ah, ending. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to leave you with this one thought, all right? When you think of, when you think of your life, we have so long to live. And then you think of your friends. You think of the people around you. You think of the people in the city. You think of people overseas. In, in that period of time that you have to live, how would you like to use it? What would you like to do with your time? What would you like to do with your resources? With your money? What kind of legacy would you like to leave behind? And so what we're going to begin, this is what I'm going to challenge you for this week, because for some of us, this is going to be a journey. For this week, I want you to think of one thing that you can cut out, one habit that you can get rid of, one uh, evening where you typically spend a lot of money that you can, you can shut down. What's one thing that you can do where you typically spend money. And you can take that little bit of a resource and, and use it to change the world. Use it to begin living like you've always wanted to live and giving like you've always wanted to give. So that's what I'm going to leave you with today. Next week, uh, we're going to come back and um, we're going to talk about tithing, <coughs> joyful giving, and other strange things. All right? And what all of that means... If, if any of it means anything for us today, all right? It's, it'll be kind of a fun week and uh, interesting. Um, and I know since we're going to be talking about tithing, you guys are going to be like lined up at the door waiting to get in. Right? <laughs> uh, but let's do this. Uh, I want to take some time to, to just allow uh, what God has been doing over the last hour here with, with, within our community to just really begin to move in our hearts and to begin to speak to us in a way that I can't speak to you. And uh, so let's, John's going to come. Let's just take some time. We're going we're gonna to take communion together. Let's just take some time to reflect on this great gospel of Jesus Christ.